The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I am your host, Dan Bespris. It is Wednesday. Slowly making our way out of the fog of the early week, best we can. I mean, really best we can, because it still ain't easy, but we are chugging along. I would like to talk a tiny bit more about Kobe at a certain point during today's show, but I'm not going to do it at the outset, because I, I think we all we all need just a little bit of a mental respite at this point. Hump day can be our little baby break, but I do want to talk, I think, a tiny bit maybe mid-show or, or perhaps at the very end, for those of you that then, if you want to skip it, you you can, because I know this can be a tiny bit overwhelming. Uh, just thoughts on why I think maybe it's impacting me a certain way, and, and maybe it'll relate to something that you guys are going through as well. This is, as I mentioned, HoopBall presentation. You can follow HoopBall on Twitter at HoopBallFantasy or at HoopBallTweets. I also want to point out here at the outset that the wonderful work of our guys over at HoopBall Gaming continues the surge the power the surge the power they've been incredible so far just absolutely nuts i want you guys checking out that podcast if you do nothing else please check out today in sports betting it is available everywhere podcasts are distributed we also send the link out from the hoop ball gaming twitter account every day it's a monday through friday show Devin, Ira, Neil, and Josh just doing a fantastic job. Again, that's called Today in Sports Betting, and the Twitter account is at HoopBallGaming. If you have even for a moment considered betting on a basketball game, you don't even have to be doing it right now. If you're just thinking about it, just follow them for a while. Get a feel for what they're doing. Learn the craft a little bit, and then maybe you dive in at some point down the line. And if you do, whether that's today, tomorrow, a month from now, a year from now, whatever it is, do it with our buddies over at mybookie.ag. We have, by the way, extended our contest until Friday of this week, largely due to the fact that well, the last couple of days have been kind of a tough time to really make a push at any of this stuff. So the promo is going to continue for a few extra days while everybody's, again, grieving, dealing with the situation. Promo code is TODAY when you sign up. T-O-D-A-Y. Mybookie.ag is the website. When you make your first deposit, use that promo code. You get a 50% bonus. And if you screenshot it and tweet it to me or to HoopBall or email it to us at teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com, that's the email address, teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com, we'll enter you into a contest where HoopBall is giving away 200 bucks of cold, hard cash. So if you deposit 50 bucks and you win the contest, we'll give you 50 bucks, and then we'll draw another name out of the hat. But you got to send us that screenshot. Get on over there. Do some betting with our buddies at MyBookie using promo code TODAY. Got to use that promo code if you want to enter the contest as well. And you could win a free bankroll. You could win HoopBall bankrolling your betting endeavor. Pretty dang cool. Recap of Tuesday. It was an eventful one. I learned a few things about a few players that I was paying attention to. It's always nice when that shakes out. New York scored 92 points in a loss at Charlotte, but Mitchell Robinson was good. Four points, eh, 10 rebounds, nice, a steal. Five blocks. Hello, Dale. This is why we wanted you guys buying low on him, because he is a one-category game changer. 
and he was a big deal. Alfred Payton had 10, 8, and 8 in this game, and yet somehow it wasn't that great of a fantasy line. This is the weirdness of Alfred Payton. That part looks great, but no threes. Sub-50% shooting, missed his free throw, couple of turnovers. One steal, that's fine. But there's just... And some of it, I guess, is the fact that there were some very high-scoring games. But on an eight-game card, that's fine. You know? That's okay. It's specialisty. I'll give him credit when credit's due. And this was fine. But it really just wasn't that great. Because there are those holes that people tend to ignore. I'm not trying to pick on Alfred. You know what? It sounds like I am. So screw it. I'm just going to keep moving along. Marcus Morris had 23. He looks fine these days. Julius Randle had 24 and was actually somewhat efficient in his efforts, but who cares? Terry Rozier had 30 and 10. That was nice. Cody Zeller had 10 and 10. Willie Hernan Gomez played and had 12 and 10. P.J. Washington got his 30 minutes, so Marvin Williams went back to obscurity, but Washington shot one for nine in this game. I still think he's a guy you can hang on to. Miles Bridges at 15. I have no idea how Charlotte won this game because, frankly, they weren't very good, and it was enough because the Knicks were just a little bit worse. Warriors went into Philadelphia and lost by 11, which, by the way, that covered for whatever that's worth. I still, the, the key for me in this ballgame, number one, you know, raise your hand if you had Aul Neto having 19 points in this ballgame. I'm betting none of you raised your hands. Ben Simmons, 17-4-5. Uh, Tobias Harris, 14-7-4. Joel Embiid, 24-10. Horford, a near triple-double. Most of this stuff you could see a mile away, and then Neto. But I don't care about that side. The Philadelphia side is not at all interesting to me. The interesting side is the Warriors. Draymond Green, he got himself up for this game. 9-9-12 and 12 with a steal and three blocks. That's cool. D'Angelo Russell had 28, 5-7, 6 three-pointers. That's a nice game for D'Lo, although he did shoot 2 of 5 at the free throw line. Not great. Glenn Robinson the third. He's actually been playing really well lately, although I am uh, rather concerned about his fantasy value if the Warriors do decide to bring Steph Curry back, but you can ride him for a few weeks while that's happening. And then the guy that we were paying real close attention to, Marquise Chris. On his two-way deal, which folks believe that it may be converted when it runs out uh, because they do have a roster spot after trading Willie Cauley-Stein. So we're not going to worry about that right now. Played 31 minutes as the starting center for this team, had 15-5-2 on 6 out of 10 shooting and 3-4 of four at the free throw line. The weird stuff in this game is that for Chris, if he plays 30 minutes in a basketball game, you can almost bet your life savings he will have either a steal or a block because from a per-36 standpoint, he's often, even in his god-awful Phoenix days, he's actually been pretty good. In that department, the per 36s in both defensive stats have been anywhere from fine to pretty good. Now, his first year in Phoenix, he played 21 minutes a game, averaged about a steal and a block. Second season in Phoenix, and this is while he was really just barfing all over the basketball court, still averaged 0.7 steals and one block in 21 minutes a game. So, you know, we're talking about a guy that was looking at about 1.1 to 1.2 steals per 36. And about 1.6, 1.7 blocks. So that's these are good numbers. Played a handful of games in Cleveland. Didn't really get much of a chance to see what the hell he could do there. In 14 minutes a game, he's still, you're looking at a guy that was in the 1.2-ish steals. The blocks weren't there, but again, very limited sample size. And now in Golden State, in 18 minutes a game, coming into the last couple at least, he was at about 17 minutes a game, he was sitting about 0.6 steals and about 0.9 blocks. So sure, if you double that, if you extrapolate 17 minutes to 36, which is basically doubled, 
you're talking about that same idea, which is about 1.2 steals and about 1.7, 1.8 blocks. So the fact that he didn't have any in this game against Philadelphia is not discouraging for me. In fact, I would just call that an opportunity for it to regress to the mean in a different ballgame, or egress, I suppose. Six out of ten shooting, I like it. He's shooting 51% this year, way above his career mark, but now finally playing with an organization that'll get him some slightly better looks, and, you know, the the whole culture thing does matter. Phoenix and Cleveland did we're not exactly rolling in it the last couple of years. The free throw number, I have no idea what's going to happen there. It's possible he just got a little bit better, or that might come back down into the 60s where it's been the first couple years of his NBA career. Rebounds, he's never been a monster of a rebounder, and on a team with Draymond healthy, he'll be fighting for them a little bit. But, you know, 5.4 in 18 minutes, that's a number that in 30 minutes probably comes up to 7 to 7.5 rebounds a game. And then the scoring, obviously also not going to be a big deal, but I think he creeps into double digits if he's playing mid to high 20s minutes. And then the steals and blocks, that's the real reason that you pick him up. So... That was just sort of a foray into the handicapping side of things for Marquise Chris and why he's a starting center on the Warriors. His job actually only gets easier if they get healthy, if they bring in more guys with gravity that can get him open offensively. Defensively, you know, who the hell knows? But he's playing better. He's earned the trust of his teammates, which is a really big deal. They were all lobbying on his behalf when the Warriors had to cut him to make room for Damian Lee and to basically to sort out that whole situation from a couple weeks ago. But now they have room again. So to me, I think he's a must-own guy at this point. I, and I don't know if it's going to last the rest of the year. You might, it might be a week of Marquise Chris and the week of Momari Spellman. And maybe there's a little bit of a matchup thing going on because Philadelphia, like before them, if there's Joel Embiid, big dude, Warriors maybe want to go to a little bit more size with Chris and Draymond instead of Dre and Spellman. So anything can still happen, but he's started now both games since Willie Cauley-Stein was moved and since his contract was brought back in on this 45 deal, since all those things have sort of been together at the same time. Not all the games since he's been re-signed, but since he's been back on with the Warriors and since Willie has been gone, that's a, that's a sign. You're saying, look, if he's playing well... He could get into the 30s in minutes if he's playing poorly. And hell, I don't even know that he was playing poorly in that last game. He still got 20-some-odd minutes. I think it was 21 or 22, which is low, but he can still do some damage in that run. So I'm picking him up. I like his fantasy game points. Eh, I mean, some, but field goal percent. He'll get you some rebounds, steals, and blocks. There's a lot to like about having an efficient big man if he's really figuring it out. And right now we have to sort of trust our eyesight, which is saying he's playing better and it looks like he's starting to put some of the pieces together. New Orleans went into Cleveland and beat the hell out of him, so minutes were a little bit depressed for some of the Pelicans, about 30 to 33 for the big guns. Lonzo Ball, 5'8 and 7. Drew Holiday, big one. Seven defensive stats. Brandon Ingram bounced back with 24 points on only 13 shots, four threes, two steals. I mean, he's going to be fine. Zion Williamson had 14-9. and nine. We told you there would be these slowdown games as he sort of got his legs underneath him, but he still played 30 minutes, so that's a good sign. And then for folks that are worried about Derek Favors, this was a blowout. He would have gotten back in there for a few minutes late in the fourth and probably settled in that 27-28 neighborhood where I think they want him right now in competitive basketball games. And even in this one where it was blowout numbers, he still had 9-7 and seven with a steal and a block. So I'm good with it. Favors is going to be fine. 
As I said earlier this week, you're just not going to see those 32-minute, 33-minute games anymore. But if it keeps him on the floor, that's better. Redick had 15. He's really settled into kind of a specialist role of three-pointers and free-throw percent. And then Josh Hart is going to bounce around on a night-to-night basis, and I don't think you can trust that. I think his Pels team is going to try to make a run at it. Not a championship, but a playoff berth, and they have a shot. They've been really good when Derek Favors has been healthy, and now they've got Zion. And I know they're four and a half games out, and there's a bunch of teams separating them from the Grizzlies, but but they are getting healthy for the first time, and I think they feel like they have something to prove, a little bit of fun to have. Meanwhile, on the Cleveland side, Larry Nance has been incredible lately. Played 26 minutes in this one, had 17, 11, and 7 with two steals. I talked about him as a stash week, week and a half back, and he's turned into an active must-start guy even before anybody gets moved in Cleveland. So that was a fortunate twist. I didn't know that they were going to just powerhouse him into minutes, and honestly, at this point, it's looking more and more like he just wasn't himself earlier this year because that knee thing was lingering. And, of course, that's always a thing with Larry. It's going to be a thing we have to worry about down the stretch as well. Can he maintain his health? Do we even want him playing 30-plus minutes a game? Or would we rather just have him go nuts in 26-27? Sort of that same thing we just talked about with Derek Favors. If health is the limiting factor here, if you're in head-to-head, you don't want him blowing his leg out and missing a game or two games every other week. In, in Roto, I get it. Maybe you just want him to go nuts, and if he misses five, six games the rest of the way, no big deal. You get bigger production in the other 30. But head-to-head, you want him out there. So, sure, take a 10% hit in minutes if it keeps him on the floor. I got to once again give credit to Colin Sexton. He really has rehabbed his fantasy value a bit since they moved him off ball. Dante Exum got the start at point guard in this one. Ultimately, they went to sort of a Larry Nance point guard <laughs> lineup, believe it or not. A lot of stuff, a lot of action being run through the uh, the big men uh, in this ball game. Kevin Porter looked good in his 25 minutes. He's an interesting post deadline guy to keep an eye on. I still am not a huge fan of his fantasy game, but if they just turn him loose as sort of the third guard, or if you want to call him a small forward on this team, well, what the hell are they doing there right now? Chetty Osman is. The, are we really still married to the Chetty Osman thing? I'm not. I don't think he's ever getting over that hump to be a big-time NBA player. You might as well just play your young guy, see what happens. So, would I stash him? Nah, not really. A lot of things could go wrong there. There's no guarantee that it pans out. There was no Darius Garland in this game, so that opened up some more run at a guard spot. But I would keep an eye on it. And I was just talking about this with Bogman and, uh, and Jonas on the Real Big Three, so it occurs to me to bring it up on this one as well. I'll remind everybody again, tomorrow and on Friday's show that next week is trade deadline week. Don't use your roster moves on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday unless it's the result of a big trade. Don't stream the first couple days of the week. Save your moves for big things that happen Wednesday and Thursday. Well, just save them for big things happening because the trade deadline is a spot where, and you know, maybe nothing huge happens this year. You never know. But you got to save your roster. You can't be caught with your pants down with, you know, one move left on Thursday morning. If a big trade goes down, you want to be able to make a couple of moves there to lock in guys that come out of no place to be a top 60, top 70 fantasy asset. These are game changers. Don't use your moves early next week. Good Lord, no. Atlanta got the pants beat off of them in Toronto. John Collins has been great 
this year. Uh, Cam Reddish was fine. DeAndre Hunter was fine. Vince Carter was actually really good. Old man had his uh, 43rd birthday. I think it was actually on that sad Sunday. Trey Young, rare off game in this one. Toronto shut him down. Meanwhile, on the Raptors' side, bodies once again on the canvas. Marcus Gasol left in the third quarter with hamstring tightness. Let's hope that this is a small setback. And, of course, when he goes down, that means Serge Ibaka gets to run totally loose. He had 24-10, and 10, and so, you know, the questions about whether or not he can hang on here, those will obviously go away as long as Gasol is out for whatever time length that turns out to be. Uh, Norman Powell has not surprisingly cooled off quite a bit after his torrid stretch, but he's still playing plenty of minutes to be successful. The shots just haven't been dropping the last couple. And luckily, he salvaged things with a four-steal game in this one, so that guy's an obvious hold. And for OG Ananobi, you know, he's fluctuating right now. Good game, bad game, good game, bad game. I'm okay with you guys moving on. I know he's not the most interesting guy in fantasy. He's still number 88 overall on the season. Able to float his value with good defensive stats, super low turnovers, good field goal percent, 117 over the last month. So he's just barely hanging on. But to me, he's a guy you could put on your chopping block if you still have him for next week. If some trade goes down, you want to be making a move on someone. Just because the upside there, it just doesn't seem to be in existence as long as the other high usage guys are on the floor. Kyle Lowry, Freddie Van Vliet. Pascal Siakam, even Serge when he's out there. Not bashful. Sergi Blaka is now more I don't I don't know what the I don't know what the pun would be, but he's hucking. Boston beat Miami on the road behind uh, Dan Vesper's favorite, Daniel Tice, 10 and 11 with a steal and two blocks on great percentages despite foul trouble. He's been a marvel. Gordon Hayward was very good. Jalen Brown was solid. Marcus Smart did what he normally does, and Kemba Walker was quiet, but they didn't need him. Bad shooting game for Kemba. For Miami, Jimmy Butler was actually relatively quiet in this game. He just looked a little tired second half of the back-to-back, maybe getting the best of him. Goran Dragic tried to lift them off the bench, but it wasn't enough. And for this team, to, for me at least, it continues to be Bam, Jimmy, and Duncan Robinson. I haven't moved off that position, and nothing I saw in this ballgame makes me feel like moving off that position. Washington Wizards at Milwaukee Bucks. Oh my god, this is the the Wizards are playing some incredibly high-scoring games lately. They fell behind by 35, cut it to as close as 10, I believe. No Giannis, so Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe went yakko. Middleton 51, 10 and 6. This is by all accounts a bounce back year for him. He's number 30. Remember last year, he was hovering in that 60 range, just couldn't shoot the ball. He's back up to 50% from the field, 90% at the free throw line. This is the Middleton we all drafted last year thinking, "Mm -mm mm-mm-mm, here we go. And he just wasn't there. He looked a little bit thick last season. Oh, maybe, did he slim down and just get more comfortable in the offense? He looks amazing this year. I did not see that kind of bounce back coming, and he capped it off here. This is the real exclamation point. Dante DiVincenzo, he's still sort of just quietly chugging along as your late-round producer that, at this point, has actually been better than OG Ananobi lately. DiVincenzo, number 100 overall in the year, 89 for the last month. Just coasting along. Doesn't matter who's been healthy. He's been doing enough because of steals, percentages, some rebounds, some assists, not too much scoring, just quietly getting it done. Still only 16% owned. I get it. Not a points league kind of guy. 
But damn, 9-cat? He really needs to be on fantasy teams. He's playing far better than a lot of guys that are owned beneath him. He's number 100. Point of reference, the 10 guys behind him, John Morant, De'Aaron Fox, Serge Ibaka, Duncan Robinson, Mello, Sadoransky, Steven Adams, JaVale McGee, Mo Wagner, and Josh Hart. How many of those guys do you think are owned in more leagues than DiVincenzo? All of them? Maybe not Wagner? Because he hasn't played since Thanksgiving, basically? I don't know what the hell happened to Mo Wagner. Vanished off the face of the earth. This feels like something that's not actually an injury anymore, considering how very few updates we've had. Lonzo Ball is in that grouping. Kendrick Nunn, J.J. Redick, DeLon Wright. Montrez Harrell is in there. DeAndre Jordan. Jolton Joe Ingles. Smoking Joe. These guys are all behind Dante DiVincenzo and Nine Cat. That's actually kind of amazing. For Washington, we finally saw them take the shackles off Thomas Bryant. Thank the good Lord. They were really keeping those minutes in check. So this should, at the very least, spell the doom of Jan Mahimi. Please, right? Isn't it time? I mean, I know that I was talking about how he was, for some reason, being used, and I thought, all right, well, I mean, if they're really going to commit to this nonsense long-term, we have to at least see how it goes. Uh, I get the feeling that they're, it's time. It's time. We can move on in that front. So now you've got the three main cogs. Bradley Beal at 47. Thomas Bryant, 18, 10, and 6. Davis Bertans, 15 points, four threes, couple of blocks on only seven shots. And then nobody cares about the rest of the dudes on this team. Troy Brown had a good ball game, by the way, and he will fluctuate between good ones and bad ones, and he'll end up being sort of just beyond the late-round territory when this team is fully healthy. Uh, if you've got the stones to start him on a night-to-night basis, you got bigger stones than I. We'll just put it that way. His minutes have been trending up the last couple, but there is a lot of hot hand stuff that goes on with the wing minutes in Washington. The banged-up Denver Nuggets are finally seeing some of the injuries catch up to them a tiny bit. They've now lost uh, four of their last ten, which is not bad. I mean, but if you're a top team in the West, you can't go six and four in ten games or you're going to lose ground to the clubs in front of you. So the Nuggets are now the four seed. Rockets are the five, by the way. And, you know, these top teams, Rockets are two and a half back of the Nuggets. Nuggets are in that clumping with the Clippers and the Jazz. Who knows how that whole thing is going to shake itself out. Eventually, Denver's going to get healthy again. In the meantime, Jeremy Grant and Nikola Jokic are cruising. Will Barton should be fine. And then everybody else is a little bit of a crapshoot. Michael Porter Jr. played only 22 minutes in this game. He did have three steals. But for those that wanted to play 30 minutes, this is the sort of wake-up call. As they get healthy, there just aren't enough minutes for guys coming off the bench in Denver unless they get white hot. Like Monty Morris, he got pretty hot in this game. It, not from a shooting standpoint, but just from what a playmaking. In any event, that's why I only trust the three main guys right now. And when I say three, I'm including Jeremy Grant because since he's settled into this starting power forward job, he's really starting to come on. For Memphis, another win for the Grizz. JV 23-12. and 12. That's a nice one for Valanchunas. Chewed up Jokic a little bit in this game, at least made him work on defense time, even if Nikola had a few nice moments offensively as well. Jaron Jackson, only 10 points, but 7 blocks. John Morant, 14-6-7 with 4 steals. Our guy Brandon Clark had 12-6. His minutes have been trending into the 20s lately. And uh, Dylan Brooks, 24 points, but he remains more of a points league kind of guy. He's been hot lately. There's a shoe that's going to drop for that dude, and it scares me a tiny bit. Meanwhile, Jay Crowder is out. They've been playing seemingly better without him 
which I know is weird because they're not floor spacing. None of these guys are shooting the three besides Triple J. Uh, but slow-mo, 4-4-3 four, four, and three with three steals and a block. He's a very nice facilitating job. I don't know that he's the answer, by the way, at uh, small forward for the team, but things seem to run pretty well in that spot. Phoenix blew out Dallas in the last game of the night. That's a weird one. Mavs just weren't ready. Phoenix came in guns blazing, shot 59%. DeAndre Ayton looked great. Devin Booker looked great. Ricky Rubio was better, playing on a questionable tag. Kelly Oubre had 19. And Mikael Bridges got a start in this ballgame, elevated over Dario Saric, and looked good. 13 points, 6 assists, 2 steals, and a block. He's never going to shoot unless he's absolutely forced to. Usage rate of 9 in his 33 minutes. So you always need the rebounds, the assists, the steals, that type of stuff to kind of float the value. And he's been right on the cusp. We talked about this a ton on the Monday podcast, that Bridges was right there. And getting moved into the starting lineup might, might really be what it takes to get him over the hump because now the opportunity is guaranteed. He doesn't have to wait six, seven minutes for somebody to come out of the game which narrows that first half down from 24 available minutes to play to suddenly he's got to try to piecemeal 13 minutes out of the next 16 or 17. That's hard to do. If he plays poorly, he might play six, seven minutes and then just not get back in. As a starter, if you're stinking, you're probably still going to get the first six or seven minutes of the ball game. And at some point, the guy that came in as a reserve played 14, 15 minutes, got exhausted, and you get to come in and finish the half for another three or four minutes. And that's a worst-case scenario. It's just easier to get minutes and touches and steals and blocks and all the things that come with being on the basketball court when you start the game. I'm not saying it's the perfect spot for everybody. We've seen Buddy Heald excel lately off the bench. Lou Williams has made a career out of it. Derrick Rose seems to be totally fine coming off the bench in Detroit. But for a lot of guys, they Montrezl Harrell has been great off the bench. For a lot of guys, though, and everybody on, I've seen the discussion on Twitter, it's blah, 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 it doesn't matter if you start the game, it matters if you finish it. Yeah, that's true from a reality basketball standpoint. But from fantasy, you want a guy starting, provided he doesn't get completely overblown by the usage of other dudes on the team. But Bridges isn't a usage guy anyway. You want your guy starting because he has the greatest probability of logging more minutes. It's just a simple math and numbers game at that point. If your guy's starting the game, he can play all 48 minutes. He won't, but the opportunity is there. If your guy's coming off the bench, by the time he gets into the game, he can only play 41, 40, 39 minutes. Right off the bat, you lose the opportunity to play six, seven, eight, nine minutes. That's a hard that's a hard way to carve out fantasy value. It's why there just aren't that many guys that are sixth men on fantasy teams. There aren't that many. The percentages are against it. Most of the guys on fantasy teams are starters. I think every player inside the top 50 is a starter. I might be wrong on that. Someone can check me on it. Maybe I'll check myself in the middle of the podcast. But I'm fairly certain that every single player inside the top 50 is a starter on his reality team. Who comes to mind as guys that might not be? Montrez is outside the top 100. So is Lou Will. Derek Rose is in that 80 to 90 range, I believe. These are some of the best. Uh, Marcus Smart, but he's been starting with somebody hurt. He's at 67. 
Nerlens Noel's at 63. Mitchell Robinson, 59. These are some of the best bench guys that I'm pulling up right now. Anybody else? Is Mitchell Robinson the highest-ranked bench player in the NBA at 59 in fantasy? Davis Bertans. There you go. 47. Davis Bertans at 47 is the highest-ranked bench player in fantasy sports. Pretty remarkable, right? It's hard to be a bench guy and rack up monster fantasy value. Very tough. Anyway, all that to say, it's good to see Mikhail starting. Willie Cauley-Stein got to play 12 minutes for Dallas. He made his Mavs debut, and it was meh, which is kind of what we expected, that he was going to be eased in. Four points, three boards, an assist, and two steals. I actually kind of like that in 12 minutes. I didn't get a chance to watch this game live, so I didn't see who he played with on the basketball court. And this is also sort of a weird, ugly game for the Mavs where would he have played 12 minutes if it wasn't garbage time? Would it have been more? Would it have been less? Hard to say right out of the shoot, but my guess would be that his minutes do trend up slowly as he gets more comfortable with their playbook, as they have some time for practice sessions. And if he puts up numbers in that same per-minute zone that he was able to do with the Warriors and with the Kings before it, this is an opportunity for him to get a lot of dunks. That's what they're going to want him to do. Just go in and dunk, catch lobs from Luka, get rebounds on the offensive glass, protect the rim. I do like the path to fantasy value here. So I, I picked him up in one or two spots. I'm going to hold on for about two weeks and reassess. I mean, you could, hell, you could reassess in five games, whatever you want that, to call that moment. Five games from now, let's look at, see the trend. The trend arrow is going to be what we're working on here with Willie. If it's pointed in the right direction, you give him more time. If things don't look like they're improving, you don't. Small Wednesday in the NBA. Kind of weird. Used to big Wednesdays. No big Wednesday this week. Chicago is at Indiana. What do we care? Not a whole lot. Thad is getting in there, and he's playing a whole bunch. I've basically given up on Luke Cornett in the short term because Daniel Gafford could be back in a week for all we know. And he would certainly be the more interesting center to start at that point. And then otherwise, things are fairly straightforward. Although, it seems like there's now developing kind of a rotation in the 1-2 spots for Chicago, where Zach Levine's not going to... Or 1-3, oddly enough. Where Levine is fine. But then you've got Tomas Sadoransky and Chris Dunn, who are both kind of vying for the point guard minutes. And if Sado isn't good... His small forward role ends up getting chewed up by Denzel Valentine or Chandler Hutchinson. Chris Dunn has kept his minutes. So I know Sato's had a couple good games in a row, and I was very pro-Sato earlier this year, but that was before Chris Dunn emerged as a potential point guard replacement, and they seem to like what he's doing. So Sato's falling out of favor for me a little bit. I'd love to see him put a few more good games together in a row, fend off the competition for minutes from the guys coming behind him, and then I'll feel good about it. That's not the big story in this ballgame. Big story in this one is Victor Oladipo making his season debut, or so it's expected, off the bench for Indiana. I am already counting to see how much money I'm going to put on the Chicago side. And by the way, it scares me a tiny bit because they are bringing him off the bench, and I don't know how many minutes it's going to be. Honestly, the more minutes that they give him, the better if you're fading Indiana because the line's going to shift, and he's going to gum up the works on offense and on defense. There's not a lot of new bodies around him. 
So I'm looking at betting Chicago. I don't have a line on this game at the time of this podcast, doing it late the night before, so it hasn't been released yet. Probably waiting, by the way, on the Oladipo stuff. Anyway, what does it mean for the rest of the the Pacers? Well, you're probably going to see guys take a hit. Brogdon, when he comes back, will probably have a a little bit of a hit. Jeremy Lamb's going to take a hit. Small hit, I think, for TJ Warren, just because you take a shot away, and that takes away some of his value. Hits for Justin Holiday, hits for Aaron Holiday, TJ McConnell, everybody in the backcourt and even the wings are going to see a little bit of a downtick. Frontcourt guys should generally be okay. Detroit, waiting on news on Andre Drummond, who's questionable once again. Getting dinged up here, maybe just trying not to overdo it leading up to the trade deadline in case they can get somebody to bite on that lure. If he plays, should be a fun one. DeAndre Jordan, by the way, sounds like he's coming back for Brooklyn. Also sounds like Kyrie coming back for Brooklyn in this ballgame. So a lot of good reasons for there not to be a line released early there. But from a fantasy standpoint, you know, if Drummond doesn't play, obviously you fire up your Christian Woods again. I might even use Christian Wood even with Andre Drummond, and it seems like they've been trying to push him up into that 15 to 18 range, and that's almost enough. And then if it's a blowout for any reason, although for this game I don't expect it would be, if it's a blowout, he could easily cruise his way into the 20s. You know, we're counting our, our chickens there. And then obviously if anybody gets moved for Detroit, if it's a big man, then, then he coasts his way into value as well. Uh, I believe Derek Rose is also expected to play for Detroit. Memphis on the back-to-back. Big win over Denver. They now go into New York. This feels like a massive letdown spot, although Madison Square Garden might wake them up a little bit. Uh, Grizzlies pretty predictable these days. Knicks also relatively predictable in their mediocrity. Utah, we're watching Mike Conley's minutes. Got up into the 20s for the first time in that last ballgame. This feels like a spot he could do it again. No LaMarcus Aldridge for the Spurs, missing his second in a row with hashtag thumb stuff, so hopefully that doesn't take too long. Jakob Pertl's stream, have at it, everybody. He's been great filling in for Aldridge in the opportunities he's been presented with. By the way, interesting note, Jakob Pertl owned in all of my money leagues and only picked up in like two of them over the last couple of days. Y'all are listening to the podcast. I know because I talked about Pertl for a while a couple weeks ago as a block specialist last week, and then poof, there he goes. I got to be careful with you guys. I think Derek White will be fine. He had a bad ball game. He should bounce back okay. And uh, I'm not bailing on DeJounte Murray either. Oklahoma City, I would assume that Chris Paul is back for this game. He'll probably be playing with a little bit of an emotional chip on his shoulder. This is an interesting test for Sacramento because they've had a couple good ball games in a row, but they came against the Bulls and the Wolves. Not exactly the cream of the crop. Thunder are good. They've shown themselves to be good in tight ball games. They've shown themselves to be quite good on the road at 13-10. and 10. They're the last Western Conference team with a winning road record. Suns are 11-11, and 11, by the way, on the road in kind of your weird twist of the day. Top seven teams in the West, all winners on the road. And the Thunder among them. Because they've been pretty good in close ball games. Because, largely, Chris Paul. So for Sacramento, you know, obviously you just keep riding Bielitsa, Buddy Heald, playing really well off the bench. Thunder, you got all your main guys back. For Houston, sounds like James Harden is... They're hopeful, I think was the last I had heard. Westbrook should be playing since the last one was a rest game. Clint Capella, we don't have word yet. I believe he's considered doubtful for this one, but we'll wait and see if that changes leading up to tip, which should render a lot of the sort of side cart guys 
less interesting. I know Eric Garden had his 50-point fill-in game, but we all know what he is at this point. That's not going to stick. Damian Lillard, he's going crazy right now. And then Trevor Rizzo, we mentioned he had his big ball game, and then he had a quiet ball game, and it's all going to settle right in the middle. How good has Dame been lately, man, huh? Oof. Folks, if you want to join the HoopBall sales team, hit me up on Twitter, at Dan Bespris. you got to have midday availability to get on the horn and make some phone calls. It's time for us to build out our sales division. I've had a number of you reach out to me. A few of you, it seems like, are actually going to work out, which is outstanding. But we want to keep adding. Let's keep on adding. We're growing. You want to be a part of it? Make some sales, earn some coin. Hit me up on Twitter, at Dan Bespris, or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Attention, Dan and we'll see if you might be a fit. Again, I must stress to you, you must have Pacific Time availability. I do want to talk just another minute here at the end of the podcast about Kobe again. And I know you guys are thinking, Dan, this is like, how many days in a row can you do this? And I apologize in advance. If you don't want to listen to the rest of the show, I understand. I'm not going to be talking any fantasy between now and the conclusion of the show. But there was something that occurred to me over the last 24 hours, that hadn't really occurred to me the previous 48, more or less. And that was, why? I started to ask myself, why? Why am I, why am I so severely impacted? Why am I feeling this so viscerally for someone I've never met? And for a little while, I couldn't really put my finger on it. I thought... Well, you know, it's the, it's the dad part right now. Which, by the way, I've turned into a massive sap since having my son three and a change years ago. I cry at everything now. It's overwhelming. I gotta stop the crying. But basically, any t- I mean, I can't even watch... I can't even watch those commercials for St. Jude's or whoever where they're talking about sick kids. I, I'm, I'm crumping here in my bedroom slash office when these commercials come on. So at first I thought maybe that's why. Maybe I'm just a sap now and, I mean, good Lord, you know, 13-year-olds, not just Kobe's daughter, there were three kids on that helicopter. Maybe that's why. And yeah, that's some of it, okay? But it didn't turn, I, I, after thinking it through, I don't think that was the biggest single reason. By the way, specifying again, these are all reasons that I've been very sad. I don't want to paint myself as some sort of weird, uh, Android that only feels some things and not others. And then I thought, okay, is it the kid thing? Maybe. Maybe not. Is it that Kobe Bryant himself was such an integral part of my childhood and existence? Guys, I was a baseball fan exclusively for the first 10, 11 years of my life. Exclusively. All Dodgers. It was Dodgers or nothing for me as a kid. I wasn't into basketball as a little kid, mostly because my mom actually instilled in me my love of sports, and she was big into baseball and basketball, but she also saw her son was, well, pint size. I mean, I didn't clear five feet until the end of 10th grade. I ended up at, what the hell am I now, 5'8", five, 5'9", five, so not exactly a giant dude, but, you know, did get to almost average height. But I was really small for a very long time. And that's a hard pill to swallow if you're going to get your kid into basketball. So it was Dodgers. It was also a lot cheaper. I think that was probably a big reason. 
You could sit up in the nosebleeds at Dodger Stadium for six bucks when I was a kid. Six bucks? That's nothing. Park outside the stadium, walk in. Six bucks for me, six bucks for my mom. Hell yeah, you can treat your kid to a baseball game. I got into basketball a couple years before Kobe got into the NBA. Like 93, 94-ish. The Sedale Threat era, as some of us like to jokingly call it in Laker time. So, yeah, I mean, I got into basketball a couple years before, but for the most part, my entire basketball existence was Kobe. Laker fan. I'm an L.A. kid. They weren't great, by the way. The first couple years I rooted for them. They weren't very good. I love Nick Van Exel, though. I got to go back and look up what years these guys played for the Lakers. I'm starting to... It's been so long, my brain's starting to get a little squishy. Uh, Yeah, that was right on the money. Van Exel, 93 to 98. He was with the Lakers. Perfect. I mean, this is the guy, these are the guys that I'm, I was looking at, and they were fine. I mean, they weren't, they weren't a great team. They weren't a terrible team, but they weren't, they weren't very good. So I thought, is that it? Is that what's doing it? Is that it sort of knocked out this two-decade-long, my entire basketball existence? Maybe, but also that didn't really tell the whole story either. And plus, basketball's still awesome. There's still incredible basketball players out there. I work in basketball. It's not like it's taken the game from me. It's taken the guy that created my affection for the game, which is a big deal, but not, not the kind of feeling that it's, that it's hitting me with right now. And I don't know if you guys had a chance to watch Jimmy Kimmel's special. He just did a 44-minute uh, homage to Kobe Bryant with clips of any of his 15 appearances on the show. But also at the beginning, he talked about why it was such a big deal. And I agree with this assessment with a couple of little tweaks. He was talking about how he was like a hero. And for me, I think the key here is that whether it's myth or reality, Kobe Bryant wasn't a hero. He was a comic book superhero for L.A. basketball fans. And just... For basketball fans, he worked harder than everyone. He was tougher than everyone. He was crazier than everyone. He won like nobody. He was able to do things that humans shouldn't do. Broke his hand, learned how to shoot with his left hand instead. Came back in like two weeks when he was supposed to miss two months. Shot free throws and walked to the locker room on a completely torn Achilles with a foot that basically shouldn't even be mobile, just flop foot, dragging behind him, managed to stand on it and hit both free throws before walking back to the locker room himself. This is not, this is unreasonable. Doesn't sleep, we've heard all those stories, slept whatever it was, four hours a night, his entire life, doesn't matter. Practice is harder. The minutes... Oh my goodness, the minutes that he put on those... I mean, you, that's when you knew there was going to be something coming late in his career. The, the Achilles year. The minutes. Throughout his prime, he was basically playing 40 minutes a game. Scoring titles, 
35 points per game, 2005-2006 season in 80 games that year. Shot 45%, by the way. Took a lot of heat for chucking up shots, but shot 45%. Better than James Harden right now. I know not not as many three pointers, blah blah blah, different era, all that stuff. You know, this was a guy that, from a fantasy basketball standpoint, obviously, but just from a real life standpoint, he felt like the kind of person that was, dare I say, invincible. And so you just sort of mark it as a given in your mind that that guy is the one who overcomes things. That's the guy that can do it. That's the guy that can do insane things with his body and his mind and just willpower like a comic book superhero. The superpower is just, he's a maniac. And so when you hear a story like this, the first thought that popped into my head that I almost ignored was, no. Like, that's not, if something like that was happening to Kobe Bryant, the real Kobe Bryant, he would have just jumped out of the helicopter and saved everyone without a parachute. That's the kind of thing you assume he would do a Walker, Texas Ranger, Jack Bauer, whatever, you know, TV character or Marvel superhero, if you want to go into that realm. You know, the other ones you're talking about, real people that were just very tough. Maybe that's the direction you go. His whole existence felt like a movie or a TV show. 60 points in the last game. Dagger shots. Game after game after game. Storybook. It was never real. And so then this happens and you're like, holy bleep. These things, the things you see in TV, the things you see in movies... They can't happen, ever. Because if that dude couldn't do it, if that dude gets wiped out by something like this, a tragic accident, F that. Kobe Bryant was going to live to 115. He was going to die because he was just like, all right, that's good. Kobe Bryant doesn't die in a tragic accident. Nor does his family, his daughter. Nor do any of these other people. Because the Kobe Bryant we all knew would have just heroically saved them all from burning wreckage. And when that didn't happen, boy, that's a reminder to all of us that Life is fragile, even for the invincible. Should I be extra careful? I don't know. What's the, what the hell's the lesson here? Always we should be careful, but be careful. Work your freaking butt off. But take time with the ones you love, because that was what he was doing anyway. That might be the last of the tributes for this week on the podcast, but I can't promise anything. This is Fantasy NBA Today. I am Dan Vespers. Back tomorrow with Brandon Marcus, a special Thursday appearance live from Hawaii. Yeah, I know. We can be jealous of him. That's okay. And uh, then we'll wrap things up with our typical Friday edition with the newly included specialist segments. Once again, rest in peace to uh, all nine 
of the folks on that helicopter in Calabasas. And we will continue to mourn, we will continue to grieve, and we will continue to figure out what we can do to get through this thing the right way. Thanks for listening to the end, everybody. Hope I was able to give you a little bit of a break there at the front end, and I'll do my best to give you a break the rest of the week. Overkill, I know, I know. But I just thought there was one more point that needed to be made there. Maybe that helped illuminate a few things for any of you as well. Uh, because that realization certainly did so for me. I am Dan Vespers, at Dan Vespers on Twitter. Thanks for listening, as always. We'll talk to you tomorrow. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.